From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So before you head out of town for Labor Day weekend, or while you're heading out of town for Labor Day weekend, it's uh, your catch-up of what's happened in education this week. And it starts with, uh, there were elections around the state and kind of some mixed results. Yeah, big election day Tuesday, bonds and levies uh, across the state. Kevin, you were kind of tracking those results late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, once we had a sense of of where everything stood. But as you said, um, mixed results. Let's go through it. I know you picked a couple districts to highlight, but uh, let's go through the winners and losers first, and then we'll go through kind of a couple situations that districts may find themselves in as a result um, of these votes. But let, let's kind of go through the overall news of uh, what passed and what failed and what was on the ballot Tuesday. Well, you have to start with the big ticket item, which was Idaho Falls' uh, second round uh, bond issue to try to uh, replace one high school, renovate another high school. Uh, failed again, uh, much like it did in November. This is a slightly smaller uh, set of bond issues. Pretty much the same result, though, short of that two-thirds uh, supermajority threshold. Really not a lot of difference in the, uh, the the level of voter support. So now a question for Idaho Falls, one of the largest districts in the state, what to do with some, some aging high school facilities. Kind of a similar situation to some degree going on in Middleton, in one of the fastest growing school districts in the state. Um, Middleton went back to the polls on Tuesday seeking support for a new elementary school. Again, that failed, much as it did in March. If anything, uh, level of voter support dropped just a tick between March and August. So, so both of those districts now have to really kind of wrestle and figure out what they want to do next. Um, you did have some, some other uh, bond issues and levies that passed around the state. Uh, Jefferson County passed a bond issue, levies passed uh, across the state, including Bonneville. Uh, but really kind of a mixed bag. I, I, the number was $207 million of uh, ballot measures uh, up, up before voters on Tuesday, and I believe it was about $74 million that were approved. So, so definitely a mixed, uh, mixed verdict from the voters. Yeah, a little bit of a you know, surprise for Idaho Falls School Board member Dave Lent, who unfortunately predicted if we get it under $100 million, it will pass. They got it under $100 million. Spoiler alert. It failed. Yeah, and you know, it's yeah. Again, it's tough to get that two-thirds threshold. We see this happen in a lot of school districts, and, and with a lot of bond issues, where you have uh, school boards and school administrators coming back on repeat occasions trying to figure out some sort of a magic number that will be palatable to voters. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of continuing to make uh, make a case and try to convince voters. Two-thirds is a tough threshold. Uh, we know that. We've seen that uh, you know, repeatedly. Every year it kind of comes up during the legislative session, but then nobody ever does anything about it. But it is a gripe that we hear. And 66.7%, it's hard to get 66.7% of the people in your office to agree on where they want to go to lunch, yeah. let alone an important topic uh, like a tax increase and in, in funding issues for schools. But in Idaho Falls in particular, uh, this bond, they had sort of an unorthodox, kind of a tiered question. 
And that makes things weird. Um, but it was the base bond was all about modernizing those two older high schools, right? Right. I mean, Idaho Falls High School and Skyline facilities. High School are both um, are both fairly aging facilities, and the plan has been to try to uh, replace Idaho Falls High School, which just kind of sits a little bit off of downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, do some renovations uh, to Skyline High School, which sits on the west end of uh, of Idaho Falls, kind of sits towards uh, some some newer neighborhoods uh, or some neighborhoods that kind of grew around the, the growth of uh, INL. So, yeah, again, we'll, we'll just we'll have to watch and see what uh, the Idaho Falls trustees wind up doing. I think there's going to be uh, you know some soul searching there, but also you know some uncertainty. Uh, with other districts uh, when they look at these results and try to figure out what to do next. You talked about Wilder briefly. That was one uh, that failed. Uh, but what's a quick overview of what Wilder was looking to do and, and maybe where this leaves them? So Wilder had two ballot questions on Tuesday and both failed. One was a bond issue. It fell well short of the two-thirds uh, supermajority. I think they were in at about 39%. So, so a, a big... Yeah, a that's big, a statement yeah, from that's the a voters. That's a big statement from voters. That's not just falling short of the supermajority. That's a majority of voters opposing, a healthy majority opposing. Right, and, and a whole different scenario for Wilder when you look at those kind of vote totals. Because at least with Idaho Falls and Middleton, you did have a majority of voters yeah. supporting the bond issues, just not that two-thirds threshold. So something at least to try to work off of if you're, if you're the trustees or the administrators in those districts. Wilder, 39%. Also, almost an identical result on a levy to continue to fund CASA. And CASA is a, uh, it's a cooperative, several school districts, five districts mm-hmm. in, in Canyon and Hawaii counties. Uh, they use this to provide a career technical, uh, alternative education, and special education and gifted and talented. So this was a, a levy to continue to put some, uh, some money into Wilder's share of the, the programs out of CASA, it failed. It also received only 39% support. So now some questions long-term going forward as to how does Wilder continue to, to go forward with this cooperative. Now, the need doesn't go away. The need for uh, special education, uh, alternative education doesn't go away. So that's something that I took a look at uh, this week. You can see the story at idahoheadnews.org and get a sense of what happens out there uh, moving forward. Interesting stuff. And if you need just a reminder of what may have happened in your community or one of the communities where your family members live, if you scroll back to Wednesday on the homepage, uh, there's kind of a winners and losers stories from the bond and levies uh, from Tuesday night. So that was this week. That was uh, the election we were looking at this week, a much smaller election Next week coming up, uh, only have to worry about it if you live within the Boise School District boundaries, right, Kevin? Yeah, it's the only game across the state is the uh, Boise School Board election on Tuesday. Uh, Three seats on the school board are up for grabs on Tuesday, six candidates. Uh, We've had full coverage of this campaign so far. Uh, I've been tracking the fundraising, so if you go to my blog at idahoednews.org, you can get the latest on fundraising. Uh... One of the surprising things. Not a big money race. I mean, this is a fairly uh, 
fairly low budget race, but that's uh, that's not terribly uncommon. Not, you know, and that would be expected for a school board race, but one of the challengers, one of the newcomers to the race is enjoying an apparent fundraising edge. Just real quickly, what did you uh, find out? Alicia Asti, uh, school, uh, an administrator at Boise State University, who has already received some fairly big name endorsements, also has uh, received uh, contributions from some of these same supporters. And here we're talking about uh, folks like A.J. Belukov, uh, Beth Oppenheimer, uh, two current members of the school board, although Belukov is retiring at the end of this term, uh, a couple of legislators, uh, Boise City Council member Holly Wooding. So some fairly prominent names uh, supporting uh, SD, not just in terms of endorsements, but in terms of contributions. But again, we're talking about she raised $2,375. So this is not a uh, this is not a big money campaign. But it is kind of interesting. This is a new wrinkle in state law where uh, trustee candidates have to file sunshine reports. So at least you get a sense of who's funding these races and, and what sort of uh, fundraising activities going on. So it's a, a layer of transparency that we didn't have a few years ago. So it's Kind of nice to at least see these reports and, and check them out. This is something the legislature wanted. And like you said, it's an added layer of transparency. And why is that important? Well, it gives you a little more insight into who's supporting who. It gives you an insight into whether the candidates sort of have skin in the game, so to speak. Are they investing in their own campaign? Who are they aligning themselves with? Who do they get support from? Uh, you know, potentially in another school board race in a future year, you get information about is money coming in from out of state, who's supporting them, who may be driving this. So it's more that much more information from the public about who these people are, the level of support for their own campaigns, and who they're working right, with. Right, right. And this has been, in the past, it's been a source of frustration for us and for voters. Uh, I'm thinking back a couple of years to the really bitter uh, recall campaigns in the West Ada School District and the rumors about, well, who's, fun, who's funding the push for the recall elections? And the, the short answer is, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We still don't know because those, uh, those campaigns were exempt from financial disclosure. So at least, you know, now, now that we're moving in the right direction, at least in terms of uh, of getting some transparency in these races because, you know, uh, voters need to know this stuff or at least need to have access to the information. Also moving in the right direction and that I haven't had to go sit through a bunch of West Ada school board meetings uh, and special meetings for a couple of years uh, now. So well, that, that's, that's also moving in the right direction well, as far was, as I'm concerned. It wasn't that a time, yes. Uh, yeah. May we never forget. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, just a quick reminder, if you do live within the Boise School District boundaries, don't let this election sneak up on you. It will be Tuesday. September 4th, that's right after Labor Day. So uh, I know you've all got travel plans and barbecues and road trips on your mind. But uh, if you do live within the busy Boise School District boundaries, uh, don't forget uh, that that is coming up on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. In other news this week, this is kind of an interesting little, um, little report that came out that I, I followed up on. Looking at the number of homeless students in the state's schools, and, and really some kind of sobering figures. Um, nonprofit group out of Boise reported the numbers on Tuesday. More than 7,800 students across the state uh, last year were identified as homeless students. I mean, that's yeah, that's a pretty significant number. That gets to almost um, between two and three percent of the overall student body in the state uh, were identified as homeless students. And you know, that could be any number of things. I mean, that could 
in a lot of cases, what it means is you've got students who are going from friend's house to friend's house, kind of couch surfing, uh, but no stable, uh, no stable address. And as you might expect, some of those numbers, uh, some patterns emerged. About 40% or more of those homeless students go to school in Ada and Canyon counties. Kind of stands to reason when you see the growth that's going on in, in these counties. And those are the, our population centers as well. And also just the, the rising uh, the rising cost to, to own a home or even rent a home or apartment in, in the Boise area. That's got to be a contributing factor. And that's what, uh, what this report uh, kind of got at was that as as growth continues and rental prices increase, this is going to be a problem in the future. So it's an Ada and Canyon County issue to some degree, but it's also an issue in, in some smaller school districts. Uh, the report outlined uh, and identified several school districts where we had more than 10% of students uh, identified as homeless students. And here we're talking about a lot of higher poverty districts, so maybe not surprising where you're seeing the, these pockets of homelessness. We're talking about places like Clark County. We're talking about Payette, uh, Lapway. Uh, so there is you know, sort of a connection, as you would expect, uh, between the poverty rates and, and these homeless rates. But it's a very sobering number, 7,800 students. And it's a number that's been fairly stable the past couple of years, really increased earlier in the decade. It's been fairly stable the past couple of years, but that's still a lot of kids we're talking about. It, I mean, that was the thing that surprised me that we are talking about almost 8,000 students. And until a couple of years ago, uh, homelessness among the student population is something that I wouldn't have even necessarily thought about that much. But a couple of things happened. I went out to Nampa High School and met, actually the valedictorian right. one year right. was a homeless student. And he was an athlete and a tennis player. Uh, and, and he was going on, and he was a valedictorian at, at Nampa High, and, and that was an inspiring story. But then just this spring, I was at Capitol High School observing Cindy Wilson teach a class, and she asked her students for a show of, hand, show of hands who here in my classroom either has experienced homeless or has a friend who's been homeless during this school year. And almost every student raised his or her hand. And, and so it is a reminder that that this is something that our students and our families are, are going through and, and suffering through. Almost 8,000 students, more than 2% of the student body statewide. It's something to sit up and, and to take notice about for sure. And I'm, and I'm glad you filed that report. No, it was, it was a sobering report and, and some sobering numbers and something that uh, I hope we can take an even closer look at uh, in the future because... Uh, School you know, is, is, is tough enough. Um, uh, but when you throw in, you know, and we've tracked poverty uh, before, uh, but, but when you throw in something like that, um, I mean, it's something to think about. Uh, and, and it's something that I don't think about every day, uh, but I try to remind myself of and, and, and be aware of. And so it was a good reminder, and, and I think we can take a closer look uh, and maybe tell a couple stories um, once we get into the school year, uh, right. we've got some stuff to get through these next couple of weeks. But it's something that we should we would like to revisit, I know. And in the short term, you can go to my blog at, at oednews.org. I have the, the numbers available for you to download so you can see the extent of the problem and how it, is, how it has changed over the past few years. We've got several years of statistics uh, for every school district uh, and, and charter in the state. So you can track what's going on in your neighborhood. Okay. Thank you for that, Kevin. One more thing. I, I, we were talking about elections earlier uh, in the episode, and I just remembered one more thing I wanted to talk about. 
a key endorsement uh, in the state superintendent's race. Not necessarily a new endorsement, but we got a lot more information about it this week, didn't we? Right. What we saw earlier this week, uh, the Idaho Education Association uh, formally and not terribly surprisingly uh, wind up endorsing Cindy Wilson, the, the Democratic uh, candidate in the state superintendent's race. And I say not surprisingly uh, simply because uh, the IEA's uh, political action committee, which is a separate entity from, from the, uh, the association itself, the political action committee gave $5,000 to Cindy Wilson uh, during the Democratic primary. So they they signaled their support for her candidacy at, at that point. So this is not terribly uh, surprising development, uh, but it is a development uh, as we head into kind of the ramp up. You know, Labor Day is sort of the traditional beginning of the fall election season. So uh, you have the full story, Clark, about uh, the endorsement and we'll continue to watch the endorsements, we'll watch the fundraising, we'll watch what the candidates are saying about everything from test scores to school safety. Uh, we'll, you know, we're going to cover this race uh, as broadly as we can. Yeah, for sure. And not surprising. Um, but yeah, you mentioned that, and it was actually the political action committee that made the endorsement. That's sort of the political and fundraising arm. And the IEA is the statewide teachers union. Uh, they describe themselves as the largest professional organization, professional employee organization in the state. And Cindy Wilson has been a longtime IEA member. Uh, but it was the PAC that came out and endorsed her. And uh, it was the same PAC that gave the $5,000 that you tracked and you reported on back in April, right before mm -hmm. uh, the May primary. And so, uh, and that sort of fits with the overall campaign narrative in her role as the challenger, as we reported earlier this week and talked about on the last podcast. You know, Cindy Wilson has been getting out uh, around the state, trying to get her name out, get her message out, build up some endorsements. Uh, Superintendent Ibarra, the Republican incumbent, uh, who already enjoys name recognition and status as an incumbent, member of the state's dominant political party, has been focusing on her day job as superintendent. Hasn't really kicked the campaign into gear yet in terms of fundraising or appearances or endorsements or anything uh, like that. So we had talked earlier about the kind of two different styles, and this just sort of fits right in there uh, with what we've seen so far on the campaign. But uh, we're going to take a couple days and enjoy the Labor Day holiday. Uh, I know that uh, we'll get back at it and be looking ahead. November will be here before we know it. And that's a big election, as we know, the governor's race, state superintendent's race, every legislative seat, a couple of ballot initiatives. It will be a big, busy fall for us, right, right. Kevin? No, and it's, it's just going to kind of get started, especially, you know, as we say, Labor Day, it, it's kind of the time of the year where I think uh, casual voters really start to pay more attention to these upcoming elections. So those ads more, will be back on your TV before you know it. Yeah, hopefully, maybe not as many as we saw during the spring. I mean, we we can't possibly see more ads than we saw during those spring campaigns. But uh, yeah, the, the season is changing, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be covering it. Okay, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. I, sorry about the snafu last week. Uh, we had some scheduling issues and so we uh, released the podcast not on Friday but on Monday but here we are back on schedule uh, but anyways thanks so much for bearing with us I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend get some, get out there and get to do something fun with your friends or family uh, but as always thanks so much for tuning in to Extra Credit we have a lot of fun looking at the intersection of policy and politics I'm Clark I'm Kevin have a good week